Thank you very much. Good morning. I'm so delighted to be here, and Dr. Towns is right. Uh, I've had life-changing experiences here because of Liberty, because of the church, and because of the university, and I am delighted to be here today, and I'm so excited about what's happening in the university and what's happening in the church, and I'm going to be here all weekend. I'm just looking forward to that, uh, that time. L let's get acquainted. My name is John. What's your name? Nice to meet you. How many of you, um, how many of you would like for the next uh, 25 minutes to be encouraged in the word? How many of you would like that, huh? You wanted that? Okay. Let's get started. Hebrews 11 is the great faith chapter. The writer talks about the men and women who just had amazing faith and that faith that was such a great example for the rest of us. And when you get to Hebrews chapter 12, he talks about these men and women who are in the stands. It, it's kind of a picture like right here at the Vine Center. These men and women who, who are in the stands and the writer talks about the fact that as you and I are running the race, they are cheering us on. In fact, the writer tells us in the message that if we're weary or if we're tired, look up at these people and it will encourage our spirit because of the life that they lived and the example that they are for us. Well, several years ago, I began to study the, these people of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and I began to look at these biblical characters and I asked myself a very simple question. If, if, if these men and women who are in the crowds watching us, cheering us on in our spiritual faith and journey, if they, could, if, they could step, if they could step out of the stands, if they could come right out of the stands and as we're running our, our, our journey, if they could come alongside of us and if they, could, if they could just encourage us with their words for just a moment, what would they say to us? If they just had a moment, is there a way that you can summarize their life up? Is there a way that you can condense it in such a way that you and I can apply it to our life and we can be encouraged? And I would like today, in the few moments I have, to bring three biblical characters out of the crowd. As you and I are running the race, if David could come out of the crowd and if David could, could run beside us and encourage us, I know exactly what David would say to you. I know what he would say to me. I've studied his life and I know exactly what he would say. He would run alongside you and me in our journey of God. He would look at us and say to us these words. You can overcome the limitations that others place on you. Now the reason I know that David would say that is because as a young man, your age, as a young man, he had a lot of limitations placed upon him by others. You know the story. Samuel was a prophet, and one day Samuel called Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. He said, Jesse, this is Sam. I just want you to know I'm going to come over to your house tomorrow, and I've got some good news for you. One of your boys is going to be the next king of Israel. I'm telling you, Jesse could hardly believe these words as he hung up the phone, and 
sat down with his wife at the table and says, Sam called, honey, he's coming tomorrow. And he, he said that he, one of our boys is going to be the next king of Israel. And, and I promise you, I know what they did that night. They, they sat around the table and they got a legal pad out and they, they listed all the boys. And I know what they did as parents. They, they started playing the game, which son will it be? I think probably, uh, I think Jesse probably said, well, it'll be the oldest boy because, you know, in our culture, uh, the, the oldest boy seems to get most of the stuff. And I, I could hear, I could hear, <laughs> I could hear Jesse's wife say, no, I, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. Well, who do you think will be the next king? Oh, I, I think it's going to be the third son down. I mean, think about it, honey. Since he's born, he walks around the house like he is the king. Tells us what to do. He, he's just a natural leader. I promise you all evening, dad and mom asked themselves the question, who would be the next king of Israel? Here comes Samuel the next day. You know the story. All the boys line up. Samuel starts at one end, goes clear to the other end. He's a little perplexed. He looks at Jesse and says, we've got a problem. What's the problem? None of these boys. None of these boys are going to be the next king. Jesse? Do you by chance have any other sons? Do you have any boys that aren't here? Well, immediately Jesse realizes that David is in the field. He realizes that of all the boys in the family that he thought had keen potential, the one he felt would not have keen potential was the one he sent out in the field. Quickly they brought David in. You know the story. They brought David in. Samuel looks at David, says, you're the one, anointing him as king. But how would you like to be David? Understanding that that day that, that your parents felt that the rest of the family, the rest of the siblings had probably more potential than you did. And, and it doesn't stop there in David's life. As, as young David is, is growing, other people put limitations on him too. You remember the battle with the Philistines? You know the story how Jesse gave David, who was still at home, some, some food and wanted him to go down to the battlefield to get news of how the battle was going. And so here comes David running down there, and they're in the battle, and he goes and meets his brothers, and they're a little disgusted that he's here. And they're, they're saying, you've got to understand, you shouldn't be here. This is where warriors are. And so they got the food, and, and they tried to get him out of the way as quickly as possible. Go back to Dad's house. Go back to Dad's house. Well, David hung around that afternoon, and he saw the giant saw Goliath come out and he saw the fear of the Israeli army and, and, and all of a sudden he became quite indignant about the whole process and, and said, is there, is, there not a, you know, is there not a God in Israel? And he, he, began to, he began to sense that somebody ought to take on, the, take on the big boy. Now understand the picture. The brothers, they, they said, go home, go home, David. This is a, this is a place for warriors and and David heard while he was hanging around that whoever took on the big boy, if you defeated him, you got to marry the king's daughter. He said, good deal. That's a good deal. I, I could handle being in that family. And then he heard that if you, if you, develop, if you defeated Goliath, you not only could... You not only could marry the king's daughter but that you could live tax-free in the land he said that's even better you know the story he volunteered now David's brothers wanted him to go home and so they brought David to Saul's tent and says we've got good news and bad news what's the good news we got somebody will take on the big boy what's the bad news it's him I mean Saul takes one look at David 
this is not a good day. He needs a warrior to take on the giant. He needs somebody experienced in warfare. And when he realized David would not be denied, you know what he did. He put his armor. He put his armor on David. Get the picture. Saul's six foot five, weighs 245. David's five foot five, weighs 145. I mean, the armor is so big. I mean, he's just staggering around. He can't, he can't even find Goliath. He can't even walk. Somebody asked me one time, why did Saul give David his armor? And I said, the only thing I can think of is Saul wasn't going to use it. David grabs the stones, starts to go up the hill. Even the giant, even the giant Goliath, he cannot handle this. What are they doing? What kind of mockery is this? Them sending somebody like you to fight a warrior like this. Here's what I want you to understand. Throughout David's young life, when he was your age, he had all kind of limitations placed upon him. He had all kind of people overlook him. He had all kind of people that walked around and said, I'm not really sure you have any potential. And yet David, at your age, understood that others cannot put limitations on you and you have within yourself today, I promise you, seeds of greatness. God has brought you into this world with a purpose and he has placed spiritual gifts within you and he has a plan for your life. And it may not seem that right now the plan is clear and it may not seem that people are recognizing that you're this uniqueness and potential about you, but I'm promising you if David would be running one lap to every one of you here at Liberty today, he would say to you, don't let anyone else put limitations upon your life. It's like this, if God be for you, who can be against you? David goes back up into the stands and pretty soon we see Rebecca coming down to run a lap with us. And as Rebecca comes up to, beside us, as we're taking this journey, she looks at us and here's what she says to us. Serve others with a generous spirit. She comes alongside of us and she encourages us to, to unconditionally care for and serve other people. You know the story. You know the story well. Abraham wanted a bride for his son Isaac, so he took his most trusted servant and sent him back to his homeland and said, I want you to find a bride. I want you to find a bride for my son. Now, his servant had had many requests, and his servant had been on many, many missions, but he knew that of all the things he had ever done, this is the most important. He has to go find a bride for Isaac. So as he goes toward the homeland, he prays. He says, dear God, you're going to have to help me. I have no clue. I've, I, I've not really been working in these marriage issues before. And you're going to have to help me kind of figure out who should I, who should I pick. And, and as, he's, as he's going on his way, he kind of puts out a little test and says, God, when I get to the town, when I get to the village, may the, may the, may the young lady that's to be the bride of Isaac, may she, may she offer me a drink of water. And to be honest with you, that's not, a big, that's not a big prayer request. Because culturally, if a stranger came into a village in that dry, dusty climate, the first thing they would do is offer you something to drink. So when he said, would she offer me a drink of water, that was, that was really no big deal. But then, but then he put right behind that little simple prayer a big Jabez request. And he said, may she also give my camels water to drink. Now, you've got to get the picture. 
the servant of Abraham had ten camels. At the end of a day, a camel will drink 20 gallons of water. So he's saying, as I come to this town, made some young lady who doesn't have a clue who I am, not only offer me something to drink, but may she look at my ten camels and may she say, I would also like to give them something to drink also. And, and, and may, she, may she go to the well in the town and, and may she draw 200 gallons of water out for the camels. He gets to the town, there's Rebecca. May I offer you something to drink? He takes the water and he says to himself, so far so good. She looks at the camels and says, could I give your camels water to drink? He said, yes. Now get the picture. Let's say she had a five-gallon bucket. She's got to go over to the well, and it happened to be in the cool of the evening, so the odds are high that there were other young ladies around the well getting water, so she may even have to wait terms. But, but let's just say that she didn't hardly even have to wait. She has the five-gallon bucket, and, and she's, she's got to now carry 40 gallons from, from, the, from the well to the watering trough. She's got to put the water, get it, bring it out, and she has to pour it over here. And let's just say that takes three minutes per bucket for her to do that. Uh, for, for the next two hours, Rebecca is going to make 40 trips back from back from the well to the watering trough. And the Bible says that the servant of Abraham never said a thing. In other words, he just leaned up against the pulpit, had his water, and watched her. For two hours. He never said a thing. I, I promise you. Wouldn't you have at least said, Hey, Becky. Yes, yes, yes. Hey, you're halfway there, you know. Ten, nine, eight. I mean, don't, don't you think he would have at least encouraged her? He never said a word. He just watched her lovingly, faithfully serve back and forth. I, I promise you, if I'd have been the servant of Abraham, I, I would have not only encouraged her, I, I'd have said, now, Becky, let me tell you something, girl. Let me tell you something. When you get done with this, I got some gold in these bags. I've got some treasures, and I'm going to meet your family, and we have a major, major health plan for you. And I promise you, you're going to, you're going to marry one of, the, one of the wealthiest families. I'm telling you, Rebecca, just keep on going. No, no, no. He never said a word. And this is what I think is key. I think what is key in Rebecca's life is she served others with a pure motives and a generous heart, not thinking there was anything in return for her. While in a culture that is always asking what's in it for me and what am I going to get and what are my rights and, 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 and what do you think I can have? In, in kind of a me first culture, it's kind of amazing to, to see this, this young lady just serving and, 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 and giving and caring without any strings attached. We live in an age where people say I don't do windows. How about Noah? What would have happened if Noah would have said, I don't do boats? What would have happened if Moses would have said, I don't, I don't do rivers? I don't, I don't do rivers. 
maybe David has said, oh, excuse me, no, 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 I don't do giants. No, I don't do giants. What would happen if John the Baptist would say, excuse me, I don't do baptisms, no. How about Mary? How about Mary? Hello, this little girl. How about Mary when the angel came to her and she said, what? Hello now? Whoa, whoa, I do not do virgin births. I'm glad Peter didn't say, I don't do Gentiles. I'm glad Paul didn't say, I don't do letters. I'm glad Jesus didn't say, I don't do crosses. Rebecca goes back up in the stands. I have time to bring one more out. I think today I want to bring out Daniel. You see, if Daniel could run one lap with us, I, I, I think I know what he would say to us. I think if you could summarize Daniel's life in one sentence, I think we would hear Daniel say to you and to me that your success is determined by your daily agenda. I think that Daniel would begin to interact with us and say pretty much that what you and I do on a daily basis is going to make us or break us. You know, the story of how he was taken captive and he and a few of his friends would not take of the king's diet and, and said, we want to stay with our own, and they kept their own convictions. And you know how that all turned out. After a few days, they were healthier and better than all the rest of them. And, and if you look at Daniel's life, whether it was a time when, when he was not allowed to pray and he opened up the doors and he prayed, you, if you look at Daniel's life, you'll find that, that he never let outward circumstances control him at all. He just basically did the things that were right. He, he lived his values daily. He, he lived his spiritual convictions daily. Every day you can see Daniel fleshing out the things that he knows is right, even if it's not popular, even if he knows it's going to keep us and get him in trouble. He just every day concentrates and focuses on doing the right thing. Here's what I think. I think at your age, especially, it's, it's so easy to overestimate tomorrow and underestimate today. And for the next few minutes, I would, really like to, I would really like to concentrate and dig a little bit deeper on this because what I'm about to share with you, I think, has life-changing implications and potential for every one of you. Remember what I said a moment ago, the secret of your success is determined by your daily agenda. In other words, what you and I do on a daily basis is either making us or breaking us. Every day, you and I are either preparing or repairing. And if we prepare correctly, we set up the next day for success. If we 
are repairing and trying to fix yesterday and all the relationships and all that other stuff. We're just kind of spinning our wheels and, and we're not making the progress we want. But the secret of your success and my success is determined by my daily agenda, your daily agenda. And what I want you to understand is we have a tendency to overlook the importance of today. I know where you are. I sat in chapels just like this. And I thought, boy, when I graduate from school, and when I get married, and when I have my first church, and I was kind of lining up, and it's going to be good there, and it's going to be big there, and it's going to be amazing there, and oh, it's going to be fantastic on that level. And the tendency that I had was kind of overlooked today and focused somewhere on tomorrow. I'm here to share with you today, today matters. Within your hands today, you have the potential to do the right things which will set you up for tomorrow or you have the potential to make the wrong decisions. And here's what I want you to understand. Decision making is overrated and decision managing is underrated. We overrate and overestimate what a decision will do for us and we underrate and underestimate what, what decision management will do for us. You see, Decision management is a daily thing. We can make a decision once in our life. At, you know, when I was a teenager, I made a decision to, to follow Christ. I made a decision to, to go into ministry. These are decisions I made, but you see, the success is not the decision that was made. The success was the decision that was managed. And all management decisions are on a day-to-day -day basis. Let me illustrate. Decision-making is important, but decision-managing is more important. Today matters. You manage your decisions in a daily deal. Got a question to ask you. How many of you have ever made a New Year's resolution? Raise your hand, would you? Okay. We're about 100%, I think. We've all made New Year's resolutions. Got another question I want to ask you. Now, you don't want me to ask this one. Because you know what's coming, don't you? How many of you that made a New Year's resolution, after a while in the new year, you just kind of forgot that New Year's resolution? Can I see your hand? Yeah, yeah, okay. Of course. All of us are raising our hand again. Now, let me ask you this. When you made the resolution, was it a good one? Of course it was a good one. What happened? It wasn't the fact that you made a bad decision. It was the fact that you nor I understand that we have to, on a daily basis, manage that decision to make that decision successful. So here's what happens. Let's say, let's say a New Year's resolution. You know, when New Year comes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exercise. I'm going to lose weight. Okay, we got that down. So what do we do? We're in our car. We're in our car the first day of January, and guess where we're going? We're going to the gym. And we feel pretty good about it. Yes, we do, because we made the New Year's resolution, and this is the first day of January, and we are one for one. Thank you very much. You get to the parking lot at the gym, you can't pull in. There's a policeman out there. He said, you can't pull in here. The parking lot's full. The park, but, but I wanted to exercise today. You have to go on down the street. Parking lot's full. So you drive one block. You drive two blocks. You drive three blocks. You finally find a place to park that car. You get your bag and you start walking to the gym and you're just a little disgusted because you didn't want to walk. You didn't want to walk to the gym. Who wants to walk to the gym to get exercise when we all know exercise should be done inside the gym, not outside the gym? So we get there. We get to the gym. 
We get inside and all of a sudden, we're, we're now more frustrated. What's happening now? Everybody's on, on machines. I mean, you have to take a number. You have to stand in line. You, you go over, you finally, you go over to the, you go over to the manager of the gym and say, sir, I, I'm not a complainer and, and, and I, I'm usually a positive person, but I just want you to know, I want to exercise every day and, and um, sir, do you know your parking lot is too small? I couldn't get a place to park it. And by, you know, it's obvious your gym's too small. Look at this. Everybody's standing in line. I can't get any exercise. And you know what the manager, the manager, the manager of the gym just looks at you and me and he smiles. says, relax. Just relax. Take a pill. Listen to me carefully. Come back in two weeks. Just two weeks. You'll find the parking lot is pretty large. You'll find the gym's not too small. Just come back in two weeks. You come back in two weeks. There's no policeman out there saying you can't go in. Now they've got two kids with sandwich boards. They're doing a membership drive trying to get everybody into the gym. When you go inside the gym, can I promise you, you can get on any machine you want to. What happened, I can tell you, it took about two weeks. It takes the average person two weeks to stop managing a decision that they've made. And our failures is not in our decision making. Our failures are a result of a lack of decision managing. Let me explain. I have on this laminated card 12 decisions that I've made in my lifetime. Of these decisions I've made in my lifetime, I made four of them when I was a teenager. I made another four of them when I was in my 20s. I made three of them in my 30s, and I made my last decision on this card when I was 51. These are decisions that I've made, and I keep them on the laminated card because every morning, every morning, I pull the card out and I read them because these are the 12 decisions that I have to manage on a daily basis. Remember, the secret of your success is determined by your daily agenda. So every morning, every morning I pull out the card and I read to myself, just for today, I will just choose and display the right attitude. Just for today. I'm not trying to have a good attitude next week. I'm not having to try to have a good attitude for the year. I, just for today, I will choose and display the right attitude. You say, John, why would you do that in the morning? Because I'm going to have all kind of difficult things happen to me during my day. I'm going to have all kind of things go wrong. I never have had, I've never had a great day which was all perfect and everything came my way. So there's going to be all kind of obstacles. There's going to be all kind of issues. So I've got to get my attitude managed before I go out into that jungle. For 10 years, I lived in Atlanta, and if you ever go through Atlanta, the traffic is horrendous. You know what, I mean, traffic, just major traffic, and, uh, you know, a lot of cars and, and a lot of honking, and, and you know, and you, and, and, you know, people cutting you off, and, and I've gotten out there before, and I, I've maybe been guilty myself of cutting a couple off, and somebody will come up beside me, and I, they're, they're just honking their horn, they want my attention, and I, I finally look over at them, and as soon as I look over at them, they, they just raise their hand and show me I'm number one. That always touches me. I always ask myself, how do they know? Have they read one of my books? 
And there are, time, there are times I get so excited about them sharing with me that they think I'm number one that I want to let them know I think they're number one also. What a miracle. Three and a half million people in Atlanta and two number one side by side on the freeways of a lie. So what I've got to do in the morning I have to read these words just for today I will choose and display the right attitude and just for today I will determine and act upon important priorities and just for today I will know and follow healthy guidelines and just for today I will communicate with and care for my family and just for today I will practice and develop good thinking and just for today I will make and keep proper commitments and just for today I will earn and properly manage finances and just for today I will deepen and live out my faith and just for today I will initiate and invest in solid relationships and just for today I will plan for and model generosity and just for today I will embrace and practice good values and just for today I will seek and experience improvement. And at the bottom of those 12 decisions that I have to manage on a daily basis are these words. Today, I will manage these decisions and someday I will see the compounding results of many days lived well. Today matters. In closing, I want to thank you for having me today. What a great university. What a great place for you in your formative years to to get an education. What a great climate for leaders to be birthed. We all know that Dr. Jerry Falwell was one of the great leaders of our nation. What a great great environment for you to become the man and the woman that you really want to be. As you go out somewhere, I don't know where it is, but somewhere there are book tables. And I asked him to bring three books here today with me. The first one is Running with the Giants. The ones I was giving you, the Bible characters, that were coming out of the stands, there are seven more that I didn't talk about today. If you want to be encouraged, just pick up the book. I promise you, they'll come alongside of you and they'll give you words of encouragement that will really help you in your journey with God. The second is Today Matters. When I talked a moment ago about important, important decisions are made and must be managed on a daily basis, when I talked about the 12, my daily dozen, that's the 12 in here. This is my personal growth plan that I've had over 30 years It's the most life-changing book I think I've ever written because people your age get it and they begin to follow the daily dozen and they begin to manage decisions that compound into success. And the last thing we brought with us was just the Maxwell Leadership Bible. For 25 years, I pastored and I taught a lot of leadership biblically. I have over 600 lessons on leadership. And as you read the scripture, you just basically... Learn how to be a biblical leader. Anyway, they're there. I'll hang around the front, shake hands with you, sign them afterwards if you want me to. Be encouraged. You can overcome the limitations others have placed on you. Serve others with a generous spirit. And remember, the secret of your success is determined in your daily agenda. God blesses you. Run the race.